Welcome to this edition and this brand new season, our third season of At The Mic. I'm your host, Keith Malinak. We get things started this year with a conversation with a man who's visiting the United States as a foreigner, but before long, he's going to be a proud American. Our conversation with Jonathan Dunn is next. First, I want to talk to you about a man who lived over a century ago, a great man named Frederick Douglass, who said, quote, I would unite with anybody to do right and with nobody to do wrong. Abolitionist, statesman, minister, and perhaps the most brilliant mind of the 19th century, it's almost impossible to overstate the value of Frederick Douglass to our nation. He was the first well-known abolitionist to recognize the Constitution as an anti-slavery document. He firmly believed that education was the best collective path forward from slavery and racism, and that a personal relationship with God was necessary to achieve success in life. If you ever get a chance to read his autobiography, you're going to see through the eyes of an American who lived in terrible conditions as a slave, but ended up a free man with a love for this country, the United States of America. In honor of this great American, the Frederick Douglass coffee blend from American Pride Roasters Coffee is a special micro lot. And that just means it's a very small batch from a single farm. But this micro lot is a blend from Colombia, and the coffee, like its namesake, Frederick Douglass, is complex in flavor, bold yet amazingly smooth, with a pleasing sweet chocolate caramel finish that will energize your day. Head over to aprcoffee.com and try this and so many other blends available for both the casual coffee drinker and the coffee bean aficionado alike. And remember, as always, to use promo code ATM at checkout and get you 10% off. That's A-T-M, stands for at the mic, when you purchase coffee from aprcoffee.com. Get on it right now, and you're going to have coffee brewing in time for the next episode of At The Mic. <laughs> That's aprcoffee.com. You're listening to At The Mic with Keith an independent podcast production. Jonathan Dunn is my first guest of this season of At The Mic. Jonathan was born and raised in Ireland, but has recently met the love of his life here in the United States, and he should be calling himself an American later this year. How exciting for Jonathan. He recently visited me in the Dallas area studio to tell us about his interesting childhood growing up in Ireland, his serious battle with depression, how he overcame it, and so much more. He's a fascinating guy. He talked about his lifelong love for his new country and why all Americans should have hope for the future. Jonathan Dunn, a great friend with a powerful message, and our conversation starts right now on At The Mic. Man, I am so grateful that you decided. Here's, here's how this all went down, y'all. I said, hey, Jonathan, I know you live in Ireland. But I really want you to be a guest on At The Mic. Can you please just get on a plane, fly over here to do this interview, and then you can get on the next plane out and head back home. That's cool. So thanks for literally just coming here to do No, I'm just kidding. I appreciate you making time while you're here in America. Do it. Thanks. I know, right? Because it's I'm only doing your interview, and then I go right that's back right. to Ireland. Yeah, that's right. You know, that's there's, right. there's nothing about 65 events in 85 days in 15 states. Right. Nothing. That's no. all. That's only a nightmare I have. It's <laughs> the power of this podcast that lured you here to America. No, you are taking time out in your I'm going to call it a tour of the country, the United States, uh, on a speaking tour, 
and I appreciate you doing that. How many events in how many days did you just say? 65 events in 85 days in 15 wow. states. And you are, what, constantly trying to convince Americans that their country is still the greatest country on the face of the planet? Great is not the word I use. I use I talk about American exceptionalism. So uh -huh. this this tour is called Reclaiming America's Narrative because America quite simply is the best story man ever came together to write. But it didn't happen by happenstance or mm -hmm. by fluke or by just some miracle. It happened for a certain amount of reasons. There's certain things you did that made you unique and exceptional. And my job as an outsider is to go, hey, Y'all are pretty awesome, but you're not just awesome. You're awesome because you did A, B, C, D. Mm -hmm. And let's get back to going back to A, B, C, D. Let's keep things simple. And a lot of that all boils around the individual. Where every other country based their solutions or every part of society and government, you're the only country that said, no, we're not basing it on government. We're basing it on the people. Let the people decide. Let the people innovate. Let the people create. Because quite simply, how you've had this technology is you've left people to be innovators and creators and you've unleashed that American spirit that unleashed that you know potential and people are pursuing what we call the American dream and it's it. to remind you and say yes you flaws because I talk about your flaws and I talk about all the problems we face as a world right now mm -hmm. but what are the answers America is the only country that has the answers I love it I love it we're going to get into more of what the message is that you share uh, as we go along here and I, I just appreciate your love of the United States and and your willingness to speak to us about us. So thank you so much, man. I really it's appreciate it. It's my pleasure. It. Absolutely. It's, it's one of the greatest trills in my life, and oh. it's my mission. I'm sorry, one of the greatest uh, trills? Trills. What's, yes. a, what's a trill? You know, it's what Chris Matthews gets up his leg when he thinks of Barack Obama. <laughs> <laughs> I get that, but not about Barack Obama. Yeah. I get it about your country. <laughs> I love it. I you love know. it. Uh, so the accent, obviously, uh, for those that, that aren't clear, uh, obviously, uh, Southern Mississippi <laughs> is where Jonathan Dunn hails from. Clearly. No, no, so, so born and raised in Dublin. Uh, born in Dublin, moved down to the country for okay. a large part of my childhood. Well, and how, then how is it growing up there? It's fine. You see, the thing about it is you, and I, I, so I sympathize with some Americans today and why I do what I do is because I get when you grow up in a world and it's all you've ever known, you kind sure. of, this is your expectation. Yep. But uh, when I was growing up, nothing made sense to me. It just, I was always this kid where life would be explained to me and kind of go, well, this is how life is and, and this is just what we do. And I'm like, but this doesn't seem right. You know, this doesn't make sense to me. You know, like one of the first lessons I ever learned, you know, now it didn't, it didn't frighten me as a kid, but this, it frightens me now when I remember what I was taught. First lesson I learned is an economic lesson, but it's also a life lesson. It's not what you know, it's who you know. Just think about that. Imagine ingraining that in a young child. It doesn't matter what you know, it's who you know. Yeah. So you can have the best invention in the world or the best idea or the best something, but if you don't know the right people, <laughs> it doesn't matter. Yeah, well, I mean, I, I hear that a lot in the broadcasting business where people come to me and say, like, how do I get into this business? I have to know someone. And I say, well, it is who you know, actually, in this business. However, that being said, it's the impressions that you leave with the people whose paths you cross. Because I could know everybody in the business, and if their takeaway about me was he's lazy or he's impossible to work with, I mean, that one's accurate. If, if their takeaway was that I was a, a, a garbage employee, then it would work in the opposite direction for me. So who I knew would actually be a negative for me. Mm -hmm. But I have met people along the way, made good impressions, proven myself, and therefore, yes, to that degree, 
who I know is a benefit, but I completely understand what you're saying. You're saying that you're, you were, correct me if I'm wrong, born and raised, or, or yeah, yeah. it was it was ingrained to you that that's your way in, is yeah. who you know. Yeah. Not go prove yourself to people yeah. so that they know you as yeah. awesome worker guy. You exactly. Know, you have to have the right context. Right. But also the, the innovation. So let me use the analogy you just said about, because I get that question a lot. And you have to understand, this is the beauty of America. In other countries, there's gatekeepers. And you can say in our industry, there is gatekeepers, because you could kind of go, like, who are the establishment? Like, who do you really want to work for if you have our kind of opinion? For me, there's only two companies. There's The Blaze, which we're blessed to work with. You have your show with Pat Gray. I have my show every week called yeah, Freedom's Disciple. People need to make and sure they know where to find your podcast. Give us the website and the name uh, of the podcast. It's Freedom's Disciple. You look on iTunes or on Spotify, and anywhere you are, see them, you'll find Freedom's Disciple. Mm -hmm. But also then there's The Daily Wire. So there is gatekeepers there. But yeah. the beauty of innovation and creativity is you don't necessarily just need to have the gatekeepers. What you can do is if you've got a message out there, you don't like have to understand it's 2021. If you've got a great message and you want to do a show and you want to get involved in this industry, you don't have to come to The Blaze. You don't have to come to The Daily War. Right. You can do it by yourself. You can do things. And it's this is borne out by success. And who's the most popular podcaster right now? It's not a Blaze host. It's mm -hmm. not the Daily Wire host. It's not even a host on any network. It's Joe Rogan. Yep. A guy who literally is amazing. You know, he talks about MMA, he talks about he has different guests. He why is he unique and why do people love him? Because he's actually willing to have a discussion with lots of people. And obviously he's got big name recognition. People know him as the fear factor guy. But you have no obstacles. Mm -hmm. You know, we have we have to get out of this mindset that we need to do things the traditional way. Well, I want to work in the media, so I have to go work for the blazer, I gotta work the daily war. No. If you've got a message, go out there and share it. Get yeah. it out. It's free in a lot of these places like Spotify and iTunes and these different places, and then grow YouTube. Or you've got places like um, uh, our, our colleague Dave Rubin at The Blaze. He's got locals. Now, obviously, that's merged at Rumble and stuff. But you have all these outlets. You don't need to go to a gatekeeper and say, hey, I have this message. I have this story. I want to get it out. I want to get involved. You don't have to ask anyone's permission. Mm -hmm. Just do it yourself. Yeah, when I was a kid growing up, I would record my own radio show in my bedroom, which was ironically in the basement of my parents' house. And I had an audience of one. I mean, my mom would, would bless her heart. She would listen to my show driving to work and home. You know, I I mean, I really appreciated that. Yeah. But I didn't have the outlet that if if when I was a kid, podcasts or the internet was a thing, oh my gosh, you know I would have been all over that. So you're absolutely right. The opportunities are there if you want to take the time to go find them. But how did they become there? Those did some government bureaucrats right. sit here and go, you know what? It's not fair that mainstream media is the gatekeeper to the media <laughs> and just telling stories. What we need is to open up. We need to commission a government department to create YouTube or to create iTunes or mm -hmm. to create Spotify. No, what happened was people had a God-given right to pursue their happiness and also keep the fruits of their own labor. And then they created a product and service that people wanted to use, i.e. for to, to, to promote up their load, their message, but also that people want to use to download the message and listen to all these different podcasts because look at the information that we have today it's amazing you're absolutely right literally anything you want is at your fingertips i find it interesting that you grew up in dublin and wexford county yeah right did i say that i mean wexford county yeah it's just wexford estate yeah but yeah wexford, oh, i knew i was gonna screw something up some yeah European it's fine don't thing, worry right? okay so but i find it so fascinating and i think it tells to where you are with your love of the united states today that your earliest memory Growing up was traveling to Clearwater, Florida. 
Pretty well, much. Right? You remember a palm tree? Tell, tell us about uh, that memory, man. So I, I, go through, I couldn't think of the earliest memory, but that was literally the one mm -hmm. redefining moment of my life. So I remember, so if you tip, 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 picture an Irish John, um, he's up six or seven or eight. He just lives in the country. He, he understands Irish sports. He, he understands Irish culture. He has he never really sees anybody of a different race. He's friends with Bono. And, oh, absolutely. And, and all with, Irish people are friends with Bono, right? right? You guys all hang out with you two oh, at the yeah. pub, right? Oh, you know what? Uh, if I, I can't tell you the amount of times <laughs> me and Bono have met him. How you know, many times have you been asked that? Times. How many times have you been asked that? Do you know Bono? Yeah, I know. Yeah. It's, it's like, do you know Trump? You know, right. it's like, yeah, what is every the, American knows Trump, what's right? What's the population um, of uh, of Five Ireland. million people. Five million. Yeah. Okay, so Bono has Five million friends. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, but if you picture that Irish guy and you think of the dull, bland food, the dull, bland culture, <laughs> the dull, bland weather, the dull, bland everything. In case you're not getting the message I'm trying to give to you this podcast, Ireland's very dull and bland. Mm. And, and green. Trans and, green. and green, absolutely. Okay, okay just making sure. No, then, don't ruin it all for me, man. I know. No, it is green. It's very green. <laughs> Why is it very green? Because we have a lot, a lot of rain. <laughs> right, right. And, and, and also, don't ruin it for me. Um, little leprechauns all over the countryside, oh, right? Oh, yeah. Right? You know what? Right? We have as many leprechauns as the amount of times I've met Bono. That's how many leprechauns <laughs> we have, right? There's, awesome. it's, it's so many. It's gigantic. Yeah, yeah, okay. You I know, got you, I got you. You know, like, remember when your congressman was talking about islands literally submerging and turning upside down because there's <laughs> yeah, so many oh people? Gosh. Ireland's at risk of that, but not because of the people, but because of the leprechauns. We're going to oh literally gosh. flip over. I had no idea. <laughs> I mean, the things you learn on this podcast. I know, right? Okay. This is educational. So why were you in Florida when you were a kid? So my my some of my extended family moved here and immigrated and got their American dream. So um, my granny's sister lived over here okay. and her husband had Parkinson's and her kids had left the house and stuff and her, she was upset and she was lonely and she had, you know, had to go to the hospital twice a day to see him because she couldn't care for him. So my granny wanted to go over and see her, but my granny was a granny and wasn't able to go herself. Okay. Don't know how the communication happened, but she wanted to go over to see her sister and the end story was her, my mother, my father, and me get to go to Florida. And I can still picture, I'm closing my eyes right now, as I'm on this British Airways flight flying into Tampa, Florida, and I just remember just all the experience of the dull, bland weather, and the door opens, and you just get to the door to get off the plane, and the waft of warm air. I was like, what? What? I never thought this heat was even possible. It was like you opened in an oven. It was brilliant. And then back then, because it was the 90s, you didn't have like the, the gangways that entered a plane. Now, you had to get off the steps and actually uh -huh. walk on the thermic And yeah. I remember as I'm walking off the thermic all to my right, there's these palm trees. And I was like, wow, what are they? And I just fell in love. And I can tell you the first restaurant, because I actually went on this trip. I was in Florida doing speaking. And for all time's sakes, I went to my aunt's house because she's no longer with us. And I went to the first restaurant they ever ate in. It was a restaurant called Perkins. It was on the way home. This shows you how much in depth I have. I was in love. This is like one of my defining memories. Uh -huh. We went to Perkins. To show you how bad it is, you might laugh at this. I can tell you what I ordered. I ordered a teriyaki chicken bowl. Why do I remember this? Because it was something only America could come up with. It's a salad <laughs> with chicken teriyaki, but it was served in bread the size, the shape of a bowl. And I was like, you eat the bowl as well? Yeah, you eat the bowl. I was like, this is awesome. That <laughs> you know? is. So that's my earliest memory of coming here. But ever since that day, and because I can remember every detail about that day, it's clear it left a defining moment. But I was hooked. I was in love at first sight. I was like, I don't know why, but I want to live here. Yeah. And then I got to visit here several years, several times to go over the same to Clearwater, Florida on mm -hmm. vacation and just fell in love with it. Your people are so optimistic. You're so open. You know, for me, one of the saddest things, because it goes against everything I witnessed, like when I heard America's racist, mm. I was like, that's not what I experienced coming over here, because I can't tell you the first time I met a black person. 
because it's not something you ever think of. Like, That's a good the, point. Yeah. But I can, if I had, if you said, you know, put truth serum in you, make an educated guess when you saw the first time you saw a black person. I would say in Clearwater, Florida, because uh-huh. one of the things that what I amazed was the routines. Because I grew up watching Bill Cosby. I loved the Cosby <laughs> Show, but it was so natural we for all us. Did, yeah. Oh, absolutely. Uh-huh. Now, obviously, we have the questions of whether he's a good right, guy right, or bad right, guy. Right, right. There's a lot of questions about that. <laughs> but like one of the earliest memories was we'd go to church on Sunday. And you go to church and then you do the American thing where you go to the buffet afterwards. Another reason I love America, buffets, this idea you pay one fee and you can eat what you want. There's a reason I'm the size I'm the size I am, right? (laughs) Only in America. But you'd have all these people and you'd have black people and white people and Hispanic and you wouldn't have any segregation. I'm not saying they were all, you know, we're all huggy huggy and friendly friendly. But you'd see people at the line and you'd do different things. There was no issues. Mm -hmm. And like, so then when I hear this, America's a racist nation, I'm kind of going... I'm sure there are some races in America. There are races all around the world. There's people who are idiots and morons and every other word you want to say in the, around the world. But as a general thing, not my experience. And to this day is not my experience. Yeah. And yeah. it's so sad how you've been bought on that narrative. Yeah. No, I, I, I agree completely. Um, I will say, though, because I've had flights, like you mentioned, where you get off and you have to walk down the tarmac. I mean, congratulations to you for getting to walk on the tarmac in Clearwater, Florida. My experience that really sticks out of walking on the tarmac was uh, that would have been December of 1996 in Minneapolis, Minnesota, about a 50-yard walk. It was, I don't know what, double-digit degrees below zero and windy, and I was on my way to Los Angeles and did not have a coat. So it ain't all pretty when you're on the tarmac. I just want to get that out there. Okay, so uh, that's really great that you had the opportunities to come here to America multiple times as a kid. And that just ingrained in you that, that what, one day I'm going to live in America. It's going to be the end game for sure. I'm yes. going to end up here no matter what, right? Yes. Yeah. That's the, that's the plan. But I didn't know what I wanted to do. So, like, if you'd said to that kid, you know, I would have said I would have, you know, worked in a business. I would have done, sure. you know, something. Whatever. I always like business, but not what I do now. Okay. Um, yeah. it, I've taken a rather dra- dramatic turn because here's the thing. And here's the funny thing I always tell people that don't get about our industry. What's amazing about our industry is you would think people who are out talking, doing public speaking, doing podcasts, doing media – are all really people people we're not the vast majority of us are massive introverts it's like this dirty little secret everyone looks at you kind of go no really i'm like yes really we are majorly introverts it is so true i am i am definitely an introvert but yeah so you know it's my career has totally changed yeah because you were in business management that was your educational background right i I went and studied um because i always thought i wanted to be in business because i always got on with people in the sense of i I knew how to work and i knew the insides of business my father was a businessman i've been around business my whole life and i went to college at night and i never had the opportunity to go to college during the day um but i went to became a sales and business manager and i went and became a i got an advanced diploma in business management so i understand every aspect the business uh the economy tanks uh you know obviously you you, you tanked a lot before we uh, my lost my job in 2007 2008 you know the great wall street crash mm-hmm. i was working at the time in in the construction industry so i didn't really our crash didn't really happen in the construction industry until about 2011 when i lost my job and the reason it took a lot longer was um ireland took a couple of months after your crash it you know it takes a while to filter through the world but the jobs we were working on in the construction industry had already been pre-approved pre-paid for and pre-authorized oh, wow. So it took a while for that to happen. But no new contracts were coming on board. And then the company I worked for, it was a Welsh company. They basically said, look, we're pulling out of Ireland. We can't fund you and different things. So I lost my job. And then I, I had nothing to do. The economy's really bad. I can't go anywhere else. 
But how I can tell you I have also faced discrimination is I was a sales and business manager. That was my second man- major management gig. I started speaking out. I wanted to get involved. Yeah. I started speaking out. I saw my country, been the country I love in America, been destroyed. I saw the Tea Party. I, I was inspired by a rant by Rick Santelli on the on the Chicago Shock Exchange floor. <laughs> I woke up. One of my biggest pivot points was actually by a Republican. Um, George Bush is a business guy when he came out in the media I think it was on MSNBC he said I've got to destroy the free market to save the free market I'm like no whoa 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 whoa, whoa. just whoa just just let's rewind that and let's Back just go. you have to destroy something to save it how does that work and then as a business guy so then I started getting involved and I started talking about different things and then I am um, when I lost my job I really started speaking out I started writing started calling into radio shows starting you know doing podcasts. that's what I want to ask you how did you start in on the public speaking and you just, just like you, I think you just answered it, right? Yeah. So well, the public speaking is different. So um, the, the, I just started writing. Okay. Um, and I just looked for opportunities. I would call into like Mark Levin an awful lot, and he'd know me as Irish John. And <laughs> I would talk about issues and different things. And I'd t- ring into different shows like our book Sexton. I was calling in, doing all these, you know, different things. Then I started growing up. I became an editor and stuff and learning through different things. But how I started speaking was it's actually, you know, I'm an introvert. So yeah. I would come over to America and I'd always want to be vacationing here. But what do you do? I'm not the type of person to sit around the beach I'm not a, a pool guy so I was like I went came to Texas one time and I went you know what I'm just going to reach out to some groups and see if they want me to speak nice. and a few people said yeah and then they rece- received what I they okay. liked the message and I went okay well for now all my vacation time is going to be I'm going to come to America and speak because you know I don't have many friends to hang out with and different things so it's literally like I'm going to go speak and then I meet up with people and I just don't it's just who I am I'm, I'm very private and stuff like that so yeah, absolutely. and this is my fifth tour but my by far the biggest it's the craziest tour I've ever done and never to be repeated. <laughs> ever. Ever. The man's got to sleep at some point, oh. people. Back off. It's amazing meeting people, and that part is fun, but the traveling. Yeah. And especially in COVID times where mm-hmm. you got to wear these masks on the plane, and everyone's like, <laughs> oh, my God, you coughed. Move away from me. It's like, <laughs> okay, it's a cough. I have allergies. Those are still legal, I think. They, I know, for, yeah. now. for now. I know. We Coughing don't send is... you to Auschwitz for ca- for coughing. No, no. Sneezing, though. Yeah. Oh, sure. oh, no. The sneezers, we should totally just hang. You yeah. know, right, there right, is right. no Fifth Amendment. You know, right, just right. literally, they're guilty. <laughs> That's right. So, uh, some previous jobs you had. You wrote down cinema. Oh, come on, I'm an American. Does that mean movie theater? Yeah, movie theater. Okay. I'm sorry. Just yeah. making sure. Like what? what okay. So uh, my family's and uh, my father's side of the family were big in the entertainment industry. Oh, so nice. I've met a lot of pe- famous people through it. And uh, uh, you know, growing up as a kid, you know, I wanted to follow in those footsteps. I, I did every part of the movie theater that you can imagine, from um, from cleaning up to you know, behind the sh- you know selling the popcorn and the candy to selling the tickets. But also mm. my father was also a projectionist so at a very early age I was around my father so I was able to I understand how old movies work in the nice. sense of they'd come in reels and then you'd have to slice them and put them together and stick them together and I put them it. on the thing and it all go through all the different functions through the projector because it wasn't a straight straight run it was like you know lots around loads of different uh-huh. things if the, if, a, if, a, if a reel broke I knew how to fix it so I was around every aspect of the cinema because I actually love entertainment I think uh-huh. it's an amazing amazing forum it's so sad to watch how that amazing form has been hijacked yeah. by crazy people. Yeah. Well, okay. Well, that was a good segue because you've uh, met some celebrities, mm-hmm. um, some Irish presidents. Uh, any of them stick out? Anybody that uh, you uh, share an experience with or politicians that you've met along so the I way? So I actually have a funny story. So like, you talk about um, you know what it was like growing up in Ireland. So I, I hate Ireland for many reasons, but I didn't enjoy my childhood. I was bullied horrifically. 
But I also was bullied by teachers. So if, you know, since you asked about presidents, a funny story. So I met um, President Edmund Hillary. He was a president of the Ireland in the 1990s. Uh-huh. And uh, there was a big function my father helped set up. And uh, we went and I actually sat in his chair. So it would be the equivalent of sitting in the Oval Office behind oh. the desk with the phone. And I had pictures of this. Uh-huh. So I go back to the school in September, first day of school, and everyone's one of the things was, okay, so kids, tell us what you did on your summer holidays. Uh-huh. And I told them I went and sat in the president's chair and da 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 and had all these things. And I went, my teacher called me out for lying and said that, you know, go sit in the naughty corner, that you shouldn't lie, that that's what? despicable and stuff. Gets better. So, uh, but uh, it, was, it has a happy ending. So my parents are called to the school. Uh, your son has a problem. What's the problem? <laughs> He has a vivid, I'm all for having an imagination, but when it gets to literally lying your pants off, you need to stop this. This is not a healthy behavior. So they went, okay, so what's the lie? Yeah, well, he came up with this story about how he was in Oris Nukdron, which is our White House, over the summer, and he sat in the president's chair and sat with him and also met the president and shook his hand and all these different things and had a photo op and everything with him. And they went, that's true. So they went, no, it's not. Oh, don't, you know, don't defend your child. You know, no one meets the president. This isn't, this is not happening. So they went and they, they wouldn't believe my parents. And anyway, went home. So what did we do the next day? I came into school with the pictures and I sat them on my desk and went, there's the evidence. Oh, wow. But I was called out in front of all my classmates and I was mocked. I had to leave that school for after like a week. Wow. So terrible, I've been bullied dude. unmercifully. So when you say to me, I don't like saying it because I don't, I'm not a negative person. I'm a Christian. I don't do the insults, but like, you know, if someone says to me, do you really hate Ireland? I kind of go, yeah, I can't wait to leave. <laughs> so and a, on a segue, and a funny note, I got asked a question. I was doing an event in uh, Denton last night and a lady said, so are you going to miss Ireland? When you, because I'm obviously I'm going to be living here, please God, in 2022, and I was like, I better just like think about this for a minute. Like I don't want to answer straight away. And she's like, Do you know or already know your answer? Went, yep. Nope. I'm not going to miss it at all. <laughs> not a bit. Not a small bit. I'll miss my mother. You asked me as well today. You know what will I miss about Ireland? My mother. That's it. Will yeah. I miss the country? No. I'll never step foot in it if I don't have to. Yeah. All right. Well, I understand. Or probably I don't. You know, because yeah. to your point earlier, it's what you know. And mm-hmm. that can work both ways. Yeah. Whether you grow up uh, in a third world country, you only know poverty and hardship. And so if, and this is no offense to Ireland, but let's say you go from that to Ireland, that's 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 heaven to you, right? Mm-hmm. Whereas in your situation, it, it's from Ireland to the U.S. Yeah. But in my situation, being born and raised in the United States... This is just what I know. Yes. This is what I... Uh, so so I may complain about something, but oh yeah. my gosh, how about a little perspective, Keith? Yeah. And think about any of the other 200 countries that you could possibly have been born and raised in. Yeah. And then you come to appreciate, uh, when you stop and think about it, this country even more. Well, tyranny has levels. Like, you know, so like you can say, you know, I've heard you talk about Ireland not in a favorable way. But like you, you, can you really say it's like you know, like some countries in the Middle East? No. Can you say they're like what happens in China and and the 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 Uyghurs? No. But can you then say, well, is China on the level of North Korea and the way they treat their people? No. There's different levels. There's a hard tyranny and there's a soft tyranny. Mm-hmm. Um, but also, there's different levels of tyranny in the sense of what you're told to do and what you're told to say and how you're told to think. But also, what's one? And this is what I'm going back to America. I've seen something happen in your country, and it's not a positive change. It's where you're openly being told to rat on your neighbors. Mm. So I'll give you a funny story. So I'm always asked, you know, the Irish people, I thought you're all freedom lovers. The Irish people are not freedom lovers. COVID. COVID happens. Ever since COVID day one, we have polls in our country like you do, you know, testing the mood of the people. Since day one, there's been a poll, rate the government's performance in COVID. Is it done enough, done a little, or done too much? 
20 to 25% of people consistently say the government has not done enough. Now, bear in mind just two of the bullet points not on COVID. I can't go more than three miles from my house for five and a half months. Wait, and wait I, say that again. Make that clear. Here. I could not mo- go more than three miles from my house. Three miles from your house for how many months? Five and a half months. That is madness. But 25% of people said that was not enough. But here's where I bring you back to telling on people. So I, I, the other one of the reasons I could leave the house legally was to walk the dog or do exercise around my block once I stayed within my little three mile radius. Unreal. I was walking around the block and I know the neighbors and I'm not the most chatty person. I got to smile and say good morning and you know, but I won't stop and chat. Yeah. There was this guy, I walked, I was walking the dog and there was this guy and you know when you can see someone's angry, you know, the, you know, the look in yep. their face, mm-hmm. angry. And he had his hand on the wall because we have walls. That's another big cultural difference. On our property, our property are all like Donald Trump walls around. You know, we keep ourselves boxed in and to keep everyone else out. <laughs> yeah. But he's, there's a wall in the front of this garden and his, ha- his hand is leaning on it and he's kind of propping himself up and he's angry. And I went, good morning. Morning. And I just went, you don't seem in the best of form today. What's wrong with you? Them. He points across the road at the house. And I'm like, what's wrong? What's going on? You know, thinking something's wrong. His mother is in the house. I know for a fact she does not live within three miles of his house. But also, if she does come, they're supposed to meet in the garden. She's not allowed in the house. I want to phone the police on them. And I'm like, oh, dear God. And I just left. I just went, okay, y'all have a great day. I just, I'm not having that conversation. But that mentality of that's just wrong. So literally, you had a neighbor wanting to call the police on a fellow neighbor. And what was their crime? That their mother came to visit them. Unreal. Unreal. People will bend over and believe everything. And we need to understand that that's the mentality that we're dealing with and why we need to get the American spirit back. If you, I always say that I give many solutions to your country. One of the principles is you need to go back to your money. Do you know what was on the money, your money originally? There was three words. It wasn't in God we trust. It was, uh, it was, hold on, don't tell me, don't tell me. It was uh, mind your business. Yes, sir. <laughs> Let us get back to that. Right. The societal collapse of the West that we are witnessing in our lifetimes right now is breathtaking. Mm-hmm. It's something that that should seem so obvious is apparently not anymore. And I think it's easy to blame education in this country, but it's also laziness on the part of, I'll speak for Americans, that don't do their own homework, don't fact check anything, that are just okay with like a proposed law because it feels good. Mm -hmm. Or it seems like, yeah, people need this. Or they're just, they wanna be protected and taken care of. Are you kidding me? We have a thing here called the Constitution. If it doesn't follow the rules set in, uh, if it doesn't follow the rules laid out in that document, I'm sorry. I don't care how it feels, it's not lawful, period. Uh I just, how do we get past this? Because this has been a wake-up call to see how far gone we are. See, this is going to be a good response. I'm waiting for your response here once I finally stop talking, okay? Mm -hmm. You look at America as land of the free, home of the brave. We figured it out. You know, uh, people like me were blessed to live in a country that was founded by heroes mm-hmm. that met in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania in 1776. Yeah. Okay. So from your perspective, you see, hey, you guys have it figured out. Get back to the rule book, 
from my perspective, I say, yes, I agree with you. We have the rule book, but I, we're surrounded by people who won't even take the time to learn the rules that we are supposed to be adhering to. And so from my perspective, we're throwing up our hands like, oh my gosh, what is happening here? Do you see hope where I don't? Because I'm that guy that I am not optimistic about the future. Please talk me down because I'm telling you, man, it just is madness. Okay, so first point before I give you the hope, there is hope. We need to start correctly identifying the problem. And one thing we need to start doing is we need to remove America from the term Western civilization. Because when you include America with places like Canada, Ireland, England, Europe, what you would call the West, you're doing America and everything it was fought on and founded upon a major disservice. Mm. Why can I say this? And let me just give you a simple example. Everyone, most people listen to this will like Ricky Gervais. The, the British actor, right. he, you know, he yep. toured them. He always tears all actors out. You know, he did one on the Golden Globes yeah. a couple of years ago and it went massively viral. Ricky Gervais is arguably, in our part of the world, and would say by conservatives, a major voice for free speech. He is not for cancel culture. He is saying, you can say what you want. Here's why America needs to remove itself from Western civilization from that debate. While Ricky Gervais will always be a free speech advocate, he understands that it is the role of government to give free speech. He will just always be the mm. case of saying, we should never, ever, ever do this. We should always have free speech. It should always be protected by the government. You are the only country in the exceptional, what makes you exceptional and unique is this, that you say that is not government's job. It is government's job to protect your right to free speech. Why? Because it's not government giving it to you. It's from your creator. You yep. were born with this. Yep. When you have that, just that is one reason you're exceptional and unique. There are many other reasons. Mm -hmm. When you include America with the rest of the Western world, you're doing yourself a disservice. Right. Well, yeah, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Yeah, no, but do you want to discuss that or do you want to move on to the hope? No, no, no. I, I do want to keep discussing this yeah. because I was just going to jump in there and just say, no, I'm with you. Absolutely. Our rights come from God. Yes. Plain and simple. And government... Only nation to ever, 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 ever even discuss this, let alone identify it in your founding documents. And the government is put in place by man... Yes. ...to protect those rights that come from God. Yes. Second reason you're exceptional. That's the role of government. Every other role of government is whatever we see fit and whatever the election says. But what percentage of Americans could I go out here on the street right now and convince that our rights do come from God and that is the proper role of government instead of, nah, they the rights come from the government? Because along with the, the deteriorating educational system in this country is the fact that there is a much less belief in God than there was... 250 years ago mm -hmm. and therefore when you can't even agree on the premise we're starting from mm -hmm. help what do you do then so the problem is this is a very layered question we, we can take it whichever way you want to take it <laughs> Go is, for it. we quite simply put what is my job so i wear tags around my job i have finally found the mission my mission is john 1 8 what does John 1.8 say? I am to testify to your existence of greatness, but I am not the greatness itself. That's, it's, that's butchering it, but it's, sure. it's a lot more simple. Uh -huh. My job is to testify to America's greatness. What is that? It's a story. You have forgotten the art of storytelling. Even simple things like I say, because I'm talking about reclaiming America's narrative, and people are like, why should I care? Look at all the issues going on. Why is the narrative so important? And I always use this example. Martin Luther King. 
When was the last time you ever heard anyone talk about Martin Luther King mm. and give him his full and correct title? Because mm. he was a reverend Dr. Martin <laughs> Luther King. Why has the reverend been dropped? Right. Because of narrative. We have stopped telling stories. But also we have stopped, and we are complicit in this in the media, of encouraging people. So you, wanted to, you asked about hope. Mm -hmm. What is the difference between America and the rest of the world? Everyone else will look at, we can all identify problems. We may agree on some problems, we may disagree on some th problems, right? But we can identify problems, and you'll see a common theme between right. left and right. Here's, and let me use a person in your country who most people listening to the show will hate, Bernie Sanders. I actually agree with about 50% of what Bernie Sanders says, because when he comes to identifying problems in society, the guy is pretty actually accurate. Where he's horrible and he's never suggested one thing right is where it comes to solutions. <laughs> and this is the difference. You see, every other nation will say, yes, there's this problem. We should get government to fix it. Let me give you back this up with a story to show you how much it can happen in pulpits. Ireland, prior to COVID, had a major issue. It's amazing what COVID fixed. It fixed this major issue because there's been zero stories about this major issue that dominated the news in Ireland prior to COVID. What was that issue? Homelessness. Uh, oh, oh, no, okay. Homelessness. Imagine COVID happens and then we just stop. There's no homeless problem anymore. Yeah. All of a sudden COVID comes and every person who was homeless on the streets and all this disaster and all these thousands of people oh. sleeping rough on the streets every night just magically went away. Thank hey, you, also, COVID. Not only that, but the, the homelessness still remain uh, never get COVID apparently I know it's amazing how does that but happen <laughs> you have a priest in Ireland he's a Catholic priest his name is Pat Father Peter McVary and he does a lot of work for the homeless but when he does interviews he's very well known he will always say my church is doing all this work it shouldn't have to do it it's the government's job to fix the homeless crisis so what is the problem? We can correctly identify the problem a lot of times, but what is the solution? Every other nation says it is government's job because that is why we pay our taxes. Mm. What solves America's problems? Is it government or is it your people? You want hope. Your people are starting to wake up, and there's so many major stories that have happened over the last couple of months. And I've disagreed with conservatives, by the way, and I've gotten the flack for this recently. First story, there's a major problem in your country with slaughterhouses. Four companies do 80% of the slaughtering. Mm. And I saw conservatives go, this is not fair, this is a monopoly. First of all, as someone who believes in language, when you have four companies owning 80% of something, that is not a monopoly. That is no way, that's like fake news story number one. But they said, what's the solution? We need government to break these up. We need to get government involved. Ugh. This, and what happened? Nothing. What happened to solve this problem? A rancher raised up and said, you know what? We're not waiting on the government. We are going to do it. And they raised $300 million and are setting up their own slaughter, independent slaughterhouse in Nebraska. What is the answer? Your people. Second story of hope, University of Austin. We all would agree, even Bernie Sanders would probably say, our education system in America is not good. There's problems. Now, we might disagree on what the problems right, are, right. but we would, can university agree education's a problem? What is the solution? I've seen people on the right, on both sides of the aisle, saying we need government involved, we need to teach this, we need to teach God, we need to do this, we need to do that. No, the answer is you solve the problem yourself. You create the University of Austin and you get people from all levels where you've got liberals and conservatives coming and saying, we're going to teach all sides and we're going to have free and open debate. You talk about the power of wanting hope in your nation. If I'd said to you five years ago, hey, by the way, we're going to have some common ground with Stephen Pinker, you would have probably said I was high. <laughs> if, you, if I said to you, we're going to be potentially working on the same side as someone like Jonathan Hyatt, you would have went, no, nah. <laughs> what world is this? Because the left have so overplayed their hands. Yeah. But then let me give you one political story just to back up the power that, of a story can only happen in America. 
you have a system of politics that's unique. You have a primary system, but you also have a, a dissent voice where you can write someone in on a ballot. If I, I, when I vote in Ireland, I will never vote for an Irish politician because they're all corrupt. My best option is Hillary Clinton. They get worse from all the way. The worst one is probably Bernie Sanders. Actually, no, the worst one will be Bill Ayres. Right? So they're my choices. Hillary Clinton, Bernie Sanders, or Bill Ayres. <laughs> I'm not voting for any of them. I'm not putting my name. So I, for the last five years, I have voted, or the five elections, I think I voted for Mickey Mouse, Minnie Mouse, Donald Duck, Jesus, and Daffy Duck. Oh, wow. Right? Wow. How, what how, happens to that? How did Jesus do in the primary? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Sorry. I think he got one vote. Oh, but no. they never count that as a vote for Jesus or a vote for Mickey Mouse. Right. It's just a spoiled vote, as if you've just oh, ruined it. Okay. But my vote is counted as that I turned up, but no, I didn't That's vote good. for anyone. Yeah. Right. In America, you have a write-in candidate. Tuesday, two weeks ago, if I said to you the following, there's a major Democrat running for office, and this Democrat is run and endorsed by Chuck Schumer and AOC, and their major opponent is not opponent of a political party, it's a write-in candidate, would you have said that person would have got more than 5% of the vote? <laughs> more than 10% of the vote? Spoiler alert, that person won. Yeah. Only in America. Mayor of Buffalo. Amen. <laughs> Why am I sharing these three stories? This is when you are down right now. Your country is hurt, you're mm -hmm. beaten up, and you're dejected. And these are the stories that are happening right now when, the when most people are saying the glass is half empty. Can you imagine if you start returning to the American people I love and I grew up with, where you start look thinking that the glass is half full, and you start looking for opportunities, and you start just remembering, and this ties back to a point we made a few minutes ago, know your history. So let me address this question. America's best days are behind her. You need to start teaching your history and realize this is the biggest load of bullcrap you've ever been taught. You're the country and you're the people that had the audacity at your founding where you haven't got muskets, a lot of you, haven't got shoes, haven't got the correct bedding, to have the audacity to come together and say, we're going to take on the superpower of the day, which are well-trained and well-armed. You didn't have muskets, many of your soldiers. They had cannons. You didn't have bedding and shoes. They were so fancily dressed, they had their red coats with their shiny lapel buttons. You're the country that said, we're going to take these on and take them on in a fight. Everyone else would have said, you're crazy, you'll never do it. You won. To prove it wasn't a fluke, you did it again in 1812. You're the country and the people who've overcome slavery, segregation, won World War I, won World War II. When the world is at a tipping point crisis where we were both alive in the 1980s, where you had Russia and America pointing nuclear weapons at each other that could destroy the whole world in less than 15 minutes, you're the country and people who won it without a rocket being fired. You're the country and you're the people that have explored everything from the swamp to the stars. And to show you that this message is still apt, that only things can happen in America, one of your famous people here, whether you love him or hate him, is Elon Musk, is a <laughs> South African. He came to America, and what is he talking about doing right now? Colonizing Mars. <laughs> that can only happen in your nation. You need to start looking like the glass is half full and remembering your history and saying, yes, we face bad days, but also, guess what? we will overcome them because we've overcome them in the past. But also, we have a duty in the media to tell who this enemy is. This enemy is perfectly the Wizard of Oz, if you know that story. Mm -hmm. That story is where you see the wizard or you hear about the wizard and he speaks very deep and I am the great and powerful Oz. And everyone's like, oh my God, how can we do this? We can't do it. I haven't got a heart and I haven't got courage. I, I, I can't do this. This enemy's so powerful. And then you look behind the curtain at the end of the movie and you see a little timid old man. Does that remind you of anyone in America in 2021? 
You see, we need to start encouraging people. I make that as a joke, but it's so true. Yeah. This enemy is not strong, is not powerful. This enemy is nothing more than a magic trick. And we need to start acting accordingly. But also, I bring it back to another point you raised early. Christians. Mm -hmm. We need to start acting like we are Christians and understanding one fundamental principle. We have won and start acting with such confidence that we know we have won and we are prepared to go all in. How many Christians are prepared to go all in today? Or how many Christians think the job of a Christian is to turn up to church on a Sunday and listen to a pastor speak? Our job is to teach the good news. That's what Jesus told his disciples. Go share the good news. And this is where I bring you back to America. Our job, teach the good news. Don't teach the bad news, teach the good news. And I'll tell you why this is an American principle. Two numbers changed your world, 27 and 358. 27 was the number of issues Thomas Jefferson wrote with the king. At 27 issues, there is no reconciliation, there is no counseling, there is no coming back together and working it out and petitioning for redress. It was clear a divorce had to happen. But what does 358 represent? The number of words written in your declaration of independence before one issue with the king. And to prove this is your answer, if you think of a person who knows not much history, who's very ignorant, you know, the AOCs. She knows the cliches like we all do on Independence Day. All men are created equal. That's the biggest load of garbage. You know, it's men, not women. Or, you know, we (laughs) pledge to each other our lives, our fortunes, and our sacred honor. Imagine I said to you right now, I want you to word for word quote me just one of the 27 issues in the Declaration of Independence that Thomas Jefferson wrote. Mm. Could you do it? Oh, you're asking me? Could you do it? Uh, Yeah, I think so. Go for it. Okay, so... Uh, word for word, oh, not oh, verbatim. No. Oh, no, 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 no. I yeah. couldn't do that. No, no, no. Why is that? Because it's not an American principle to tell the world what you're against. It's an American principle to tell you what you're for, i.e. share the good news. Mm-hmm. And what we need to do is start sharing stories, like Jesus did, parables, of why America can overcome this and reinforce it. I'm not saying it's easy, because people say, well, you think it's easy, you're, you're dismissing this enemy. No, if you listen to my podcast, I speak about the Great Reset a lot. I'm fully aware of the problems, right. but I also see the opportunities. Yeah, and, and I, and I want to mention very clearly here, if you like what you hear, Freedom's Disciple, here he is, Jonathan Dunn. You, you'll check out his podcast, and you'll, you'll get a new love for the United States. So, so check this out, y'all. Uh, obviously, the magic of editing, it doesn't appear that I had walked away from the microphone there for a few minutes, but I went looking for a Band-Aid because while you were talking, I, I had this little cut that had scabbed over. I know this is gross sounding, right? Right here on my elbow. And I just was just mindlessly picking at it. And I think Jonathan's eyes like lit up like, oh my gosh, like you're literally bleeding out here. So anyway... I was like, don't die just to do this interview, (laughs) man. Right. Uh, I I walked across the hall. I cannot find a Band-Aid to save my life in this joint. And and you mentioned, as I came back into the room here, uh, where's the health and safety officer? Oh, my gosh. Tell me that's some bureaucratic nightmare that invades businesses in Europe, right? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, you got health and safety training. You got to have someone. Somebody on site? Uh, No, well, like, it's part of your job. So, like, you know, you could be the health and safety officer. It's just part of your responsibility. Oh, okay. But it's a government mandate that each office has somebody. And you go through training and different things. Oh, it's wonderful. Okay, what if that person goes on vacation? What happens? I'm guessing there's a backup. Oh, my gosh. And then there's a backup to the backup to the health and safety. (laughs) Okay. You know, you worked at a golf course for a time? Yeah, I did. I've done that as well. What did you do? 
I was the attendant who you paid money to, to, to do stuff and go and play in the course. It was great. Yeah. And, and then my lunch break, of course, was playing golf. It was awesome. Uh-huh. So I'm, I used I used to play a lot of golf. So Yeah, that sounds very similar to, to the job that I had. It's moving carts up so that the members could get on. Yeah. And stuff. Uh, now, I played golf all the time as well. However, I did not get better. I mean, are you pretty good at the links there? I used to be. Um, like, I won one of the coolest things in my own little personal accolades was in... I think it was like 2011 or 2012. I was golfer of the year in the place I was. But also, I was the most dominant golfer to ever play. I was the youngest golfer to ever win that award. So I don't wow. know. I'm, I don't know if these ever stood, but yeah, I went one summer. I played a lot. I played like four times a week, and I came really good. And I won a nice. lot of events in a row. You and still stuff. get to play at all? No, Aww. I don't have time. Um, but also, I. I uh, just don't have the time. And yeah. I also power lift now, so. <laughs> I don't have time, and yeah. I also don't have the time. But yeah. You power lift, right? Yeah, so I, power, I haven't done it now since September, but I'm training to be a professional power lifter, so. Oh, wow. Because um, I love weights. It's my little safe space. But I haven't trained um, since late August on this tour. I intended to do in the gym, but yeah. 65 events in 85 days on paper sounds no, like that, a lot of that's fun. That's enough power lifting right there, yeah. you know? Because uh, even for my fiance, because um, she, she sees what goes on behind the scenes, she's like, I honestly don't think people get what you're doing right now because they see 65 events in 85 days and they kind of go, that seems like a lot. But I see you, like the talking, the media, doing yeah. your own show, booking hotels, booking mm-hmm. flights, car hire, going all the stuff. Like it's literally 16 hours, 17 hours every day, nonstop. Wow. And uh, so, you know, you try and get in the gym and that. And <laughs> after all, the you know, I, right. I, start, I tried at the start. I did a few, like in September, I actually worked a bit but like since October I just couldn't because I think it fits it fits in perfectly with your golf thing I don't have time and I don't have time yeah so tell us about Tanya your fiance how exciting huh I know it's amazing right so and this is you know it's not to make this about me but this is a message of hope so I've been doing all this work and it's not really work I'm I'm a volunteer so I do speaking tours for free I invested my life savings of 10 grand to do this tour um I've done this is my fifth speaking tour. I've done this show. I've been at the Blaze like seven years. I've done three hundred odd shows with you. Um, I've done all this writing. So this was my literally burning the boats moment, and because I was like, <laughs> I, something's got to happen. Because yeah. you know, I I can't get a job above minimum wage in Ireland. You know, it's just that's just the situation it is. Because what I say is so unpopular. So I know about discrimination. But literally, when I go back because of COVID, because of the economy, but also because of what I'm doing right now, I know it's highly unlikely that I will never ever work in Ireland again. So I was kind of like, this is my burning. The boats moment either i'm gonna go back to ireland and starve now granted that'll take a long time for me to die from starvation because i'm a bigger guy <laughs> in sir flat joke here or I'm, something's gonna break and i'm gonna find a way here yeah. so my beautiful fiance who i've known since 2015 mm. we were friends and we we hung out we met up in a group a couple of years ago and we had fun and uh Basically, because she knows my past, she knows who I work for, but she also knows my issues with depression and suicide. To get here legally, despite your borders been wide opening, I had to go to Turkey and isolate for 15 days. So she was checking in on me twice a day, knowing I had those issues. You know, because isolation for a depressive person is not a, it's not a good situation. I highly recommend against doing it. Um, but she was checking in on me. And, you know, you can't just have a conversation. Hey, just checking in. Are you all right? Yeah, I'm fine. Thanks. It would lead to more stuff. And we'd be uh-huh. texting and talking. And we just became really close. And then, um, so I'm rather clueless. I haven't dated a lot in my lifetime. Um, I probably dated maybe four or five girls, like not for, for not very long and stuff. It's just never been, I've never had the knack to, you know, ironically, <laughs> I can talk and I have an accent and uh, just to get right. with girls is just <laughs> not not really possible for me. I just never, I'm very clueless and stuff. Um, but um, she basically said, hey, so, you know, when you get stateside, can we meet up alone? And I was like, sure, absolutely, no problem. I'd love to. I'm in Oklahoma the first week of November. And she was like, okay. 
And then a couple of days later, she went, you know, so can we meet up alone? And I was like, sure. You know I'm a man of principle. I, I, I said we'd meet up. I definitely will. I'm in Oklahoma this week. And then she asked me a third time, three is a biblical number, which is, is very funny because we're both Christians. She basically like, can we meet up alone? And I was like, I'm not saying no to you. I definitely will. But basically, she got very blunt at me and said, hey, are you ever going to ask me out? And I was like, you want me to? And like I sent the wide-eyed emoji challenge the joke where even when I was saying it to you, I, my reaction, the emoji was, you know, that big, uh, you know, the face with the big eyes. Yeah. I was like, you want me to? And she's like, hell yeah. Like I asked <laughs> you to meet up alone three times. But in my defense, I'm the reason I am clueless. I fully admit, and I have major flaws in that department and in other departments as well. But I, most people, like I've met a lot of people alone. I've met with groups of people and then they go, hey, I'd love to just pick your brains and yeah. meet up for a you beer. You thought it was something like that? All yeah, I just, I, you know, because when you meet as a group, it's fun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But you know, some people kind of want to share the story with you or, or want to ask your advice. They want to get into the industry or something or whatever. I knew she didn't want to do that, but she just wanted to talk or just hang out. And I was okay. like, sure, just one to one rather than as a group. But so we st- I asked her out. She said, yes, we got on well. Um, you know, it. we were nervous because we were friends for so long. When you're friends from 2015 and then you start having feelings for someone. Mm-hmm. And the first time, like we both admitted it, like when we... Uh, when we first met up as a, on a date, like we were kind of like, this might be awkward. Like, do you shake your hand? Do you give her a hug? You know, that type of, you know, we're friends for so long, you know, is it going to be weird kissing you? But it wasn't. She, uh, I met her in a parking lot of the hotel I was staying in. We went out to, to a meal and, and, uh, she ran right into my arms and gave me the biggest kiss and oh. I was just like this is amazing it feels awesome that is she's so my cool. best friend I do not deserve her um, but just getting back to the message of hope of all doing all the stuff I've done you know I, I've been trying for 17 years to get to this country legally you know this tour because of going all in not only in 2022 am I going to say I'm an American and have that right to say I'm an American but I also get my American dream but I also get the dream girl because Tanya is perfect for me is she so is great. the most amazing kind beautiful sweet funny um, person I have ever met. You guys are going to be living in Oklahoma, right? Yes. I'm so glad. That's uh, that's a I'll beautiful be f- state. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah. But what is interesting, so I've, I've actually asked a friend of mine who lives in Oklahoma, I'm like, hey, uh, so you need to give me like the, the the political gist of why Texans hate Oklahoma because someone said, I said it to someone, do I they? had a conversation. Yeah, oh, you do. Well, so I'll tell you a funny yeah, story. The football for sure. Yeah. yeah, but no, but even the rhetoric. So, because <laughs> I didn't get this because I knew there was a football rival, you know, the, I'm not totally clueless, you know, about, <laughs> you know, the Sooners and A&M and the Aggies and stuff like this. And, and but Longhorns. I, Longhorns I'm at a, and yeah, and the Longhorns. And uh, I uh, I was at an event and I told the thing about an American dream. They all went, yay, is in Texas. Oh, I'm so happy for you. We know about your story. This is amazing, brilliant. Texan comes up to me after, so, so where are you going to live? I'm like, uh, Oklahoma. Oh, I was, I was happy for you. I'm not happy anymore that you're going to be... <laughs> but here's the thing. Here's what he called it. I'm not happy you're going to be living in God's armpit. What? And I was like... We're not, I said Oklahoma, not New York, not right. Michigan, not Boston oh or Massachusetts. Goodness. You know, obviously Boston's not Boston's a city. I'm a Yankees fan, so I always say Boston. But <laughs> Massachusetts, you know, I did or Michigan or any of these states. I said Oklahoma. Yeah, it's God's armpit. I went okay. So I'm like, that's and so I said it to my friend Susan. She's like, oh yeah, they, it, we've been called that before. And I'm like, really? That's really descriptive. I've never heard that. Okay. Oh, yeah. so, so you're a big reader, would you say? Uh, not a good reader, but uh, I am reading a lot. Yeah, I'm okay. always researching. All right, I have um, ADD, so I, when I read something, I f- it, I go too. down a rabbit hole. Yeah, me too, man. And then I just I end up reading. That's the thing. I end up reading half a dozen books at the same time and finish none of them. I know. Philadelphia, here I come is the favorite book of yours. Yeah, one right? of my favorites. Yeah. One of your favorites, and and just the story of this. It's it, it, this is what it said. I mean, it's a play based yeah. in Ireland. And a guy leaving his dad to go live in Philadelphia. Yeah. That sounds oddly familiar. 
It's yeah, it is. It's it is a you know, there's I'm very consistent in my stuff, but there's there's a load of famous stories. So it's it's basically a sketch where you've got this guy called Gar and he has he's having imaginary conversations with himself. And it's based the night he before he's supposed to fly out to Philadelphia. It's a famous play. Mm. Um and his dad and him don't have the best relationship. So he breaks up all these skits in his head of how he's gonna break the news to his dad and how you know, then he says breaks uh, has skits where the dad's gonna tell him he misses him and you know get and uncomfortable and then but it's just hilariously funny and if it's acted out right it's very good and okay. then and then eventually the next goes it ends the next day where he's going off and you don't actually know whether he actually ever gets to Philadelphia because deep down he actually loves his father so there's a lot of nuance to the Aww, play and stuff okay. and, and he doesn't really want to leave he just he's, he's caught with the glamorized now obviously me I'm like see ya yeah I was gonna say <laughs> maybe it's not the parallel that I thought it yeah, was up to the end it is right, but it's, okay. it's, it's just it was, it was one of the books I studied when I was growing up and it's just a fun book okay. because every other book I read I can't say there's there's favorites because everything else I read I don't read um you know for fun I read yeah. for research and stuff yeah, so like I'm reading yeah. you know stuff and like can you really say as much as I love them but like you know reading like Adam Smith can you really say that's right. my favorite book mm-hmm. like when you wrote, asked me that I was kind of thinking about it I was like well like I love Adam Smith but it's not exactly my favorite book or like Fred Frederick Bastiat the law like, you know, all these books are... And even then, like, so my one of my other favorite books is... But I hate the title, and you'll understand why, because you actually know American history. I love the Tocqueville's Democracy in America, but I hate, hate, hate the title. Because mm-hmm. America's not oh, a democracy. I'm with you. <laughs> I'm, I'm like, with you. you know, so... But then so, also, like, I some of my inspiration comes from some of your writings and stuff. So, like, I read, you know, a lot of George, Thomas Jefferson's writings and George Washington. Thomas Jefferson's writings are amazing because he is clearly the, the pen of yeah. the founding fathers. Yep. Like, he was so articulate. But he also was such a great storyteller. But also, like, I, you know, like Thomas Paine, The American Crisis, you know, all those different things. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I always say, I was going to say them in the things as answers. Like, you know, Washington's farewell address, it literally highlights every problem that you face as a nation right now. It's amazing how someone who lived 200 years ago when he's leaving office could say, hey, i got to say this to y'all, and 200 and odd plus years later, we're actually experiencing every problem he predicted if we didn't act. That's a very good point. Yeah. So No, you're right. Uh, you know, I, I look through these questions that I ask, and I think as sometimes when I'm looking at them, man, I don't know, that's a tough question. I don't know how to answer that one. And, and the one I'm getting hung up on, really, is your favorite app. Like, I'm sitting here thinking, what would mine be? But anyhow, <laughs> yours is YouTube. Yeah. Why, why are you such a big fan of YouTube? Because there's so many amazing things on it. Yeah. I don't have many apps on my phone. So, like, I deleted social media from my phone. It's the best thing you will ever, ever do. Mm-hmm. Um, that literally, you know, that when I know when people text me or phone me, it's because you have my number and I want to hear from you rather I than the constant ding, 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 ding. But the reason I say YouTube is because I, I go on to YouTube a lot. So, because I'm a storyteller, so I'm always looking to improve. So, like, I watch a lot of Jordan Peterson online. Yeah, you're a big um, fan of his uh, book, yeah. too. Yeah, I, I love him. I, I I try and model myself. I don't. I wouldn't say I have heroes, but I try and model myself after certain people. Like um, obviously, Glenn is a big inspiration to me. My, my, my boss, um, you know, people like Jordan Peterson who are more calm and more well thought out, and it's not angry. But like one of my ultimate favorite people is Milton Friedman. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you've ever watched any of his sure videos, have, but yeah. I love where they'll show these videos of where he's sitting in front of a class of people. And, like, you know, have all these liberal, even back then, you had all these liberal students. Mm-hmm. And, like, I've got the question that's going to get you. Right. And because right. I, I say, this is what America needs right and, now. Uh-huh. And you've got this old man who's dressed like an old man. And answering he's just with a sitting, smile. Answering with a smile. And never, ever raises his voice. Yeah. And is always like, no, son, this is why you're wrong. <laughs> and then you can see them, like, oh, crap, I thought I had him. <laughs> you yep. know, that way. And yep. then another person will get up. But it's been killed with a smile. 
Um, and I think we need that. But also, like, just to have that confidence. Because here's the thing that frustrates me with conservatives who get angry. We have the winning message. Right. Even Karl Marx, the father of communism, spoke about freedom. That's mm. how powerful that word is. Now, he perverted it and said freedom from the bourgeoisie. But he said the word freedom because mm-hmm. he knew the power that word holds. We point. have the winning message. We should not be the angry ones. We should be the ones going, we're spreading the good news. Hey, guess what? Let's remove your shackles. You don't need anybody telling you what to do. You don't need an overlord. And start sharing that message in the way it should be shared. We should not be angry. It's the left who should be angry. Why? Because they're the ones who have the losing message and they have to compensate. We don't. We should be the happy warriors. Or if I may quote the great Thomas Paine, it's time to be a winter soldier and not a sunshine patriot. Yeah. Yep. I love that. Okay. Five possessions. You could keep only five possessions. What would they be? 1519 Geneva Bible. Yes. Wow, man. That's pretty That's cool. even prior to... I have a copy of that. It's an amazing Bible. So it's, you know, it's it's very hard to read. And one of the things I love to do, and I'm not smart enough to really understand and appreciate everything, so I still have to read the modern-day Bibles. But, you know, as someone who, you know, appreciates the power of language and stuff, so, that, you know, the one story I always tell is how I'm always checking everything. So, like, it's what's the fifth commandment to most people? In Ireland, it's you thou shall not kill. Okay. That's actually not the commandment. It's thou shall not murder. murder yeah. And you have mm-hmm. to understand it's just one little word. And you oh. think they mean the same thing. What's no, no. the big difference? Oh. But it is a major significant sure difference. So yeah. I always love going back and reading. But also I always highlight and say, look how dumb we've actually become as a society. Like they read this <laughs> Bible and like, I'm, I'm not saying, I'm, I'm not going to say I'm the smartest pants. I'm not the smartest person in the world, but I'm clearly not near anywhere near the dumbest. <laughs> I struggle to read it and I read the Bible yeah. and I know the parallel verses. And I'm like, what, 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 what's this word? now mm-hmm. this is very different just to highlight but also to constantly know something because if i read something in the bible i'll read because i read the new ver- you know the new version sure. of it and like, that doesn't quite seem like yeah i remember and i can go back to one of the oldest bibles and say actually no it's not this is how much it's changed That's and right. then you can have a debate of whether it's changed for the better or for the good or which That's is more right. accurate but at least i always have that resource you've got the u.s founding documents Leatherbound? Yeah, I've got an amazing book. It's one of my prized oh, possessions. I don't have many prized cool. possessions. It's literally the. It's a majorly thick book. It's, um, it's the Declaration of Independence, the Constitution, the Bill of Rights, the Federalist Papers, the Anti-Federalist Papers, and just to show you how important this document was to your founding documents, it's finished with Washington's farewell address, and it's leather bound and it's lovely. And I hate looking at it because it's so pristine it's like I don't really you know because you're always afraid you smudge it and stuff it's not like you don't want any dog ears on this book it's really like it was expensive that I bought it Um, but it's one of my prized possessions if I can only bring one I I love all your founding documents so I had to bring one book that's the book Uh well since you're such a big fan of the founding fathers who would be your favorite then if you had to pick just one easy Washington why is that character integrity um, just was so humble you know, like the, how many people, I always share this as a story of how much you've changed. Imagine a job, you know, you're going to hire someone for a massive job, like a CEO or something really important to your business. And on acceptance, the person says, I do not find myself worthy to the cha- to the, to the position I've been given. Mm. He said that in front of Congress when he was the leader of the Continental Army in a famous speech. He was so humble, but also so resolute. He had nothing to gain. He risked everything. But also, like, imagine risking, there's so many George Washington stories, but imagine risking everything, and then you go and fight the British, and then you lose, and then you've got to retreat, and then you've got to lose, and then you've got to retreat. Everything from, you know, all the, the stories about how many times he was shot and never killed, the way he prayed, the, the picture of Valley Forge, the way he, you know, ultimately went home 
after he served. Like, you know, he could have been your king. Right. He could have been one of the most evil, despotic people. He went home. They would have let him. Yeah, absolutely. No one would have stopped him because he's the great general. You don't have an America without him. But then he goes home, and I always share these stories about... Even down to how he acts. So it's 10 years he's gone home and everything, you know, America's started to grow and you're in Philadelphia discussing the Constitution. It goes into crisis. No one can agree on anything. They send for George Washington. George Washington has the knock on the door. I always say, think about your favorite politician now out of limelight for 10 years. Do you think they'd be on CNN? Do you think they'd have staffers? Do you think we'd have trending on Twitter, get George Washington to Philadelphia? He didn't. He continued with his own life. But when he gets the knock on the door, Mr. Washington, sir, the Constitution and Convention in Philadelphia is in crisis. You are needed. He didn't say, hell yeah, you need me. Of course you need me. I'm the great General George Washington. You're all a bunch of fools. How does he respond? My God, what more does my country demand of me? Then the third story about how he acted on character. When he got there, how did he act? He could have said, I gave you your opportunity to get this done. You called me. I didn't call you. Now get in line. Kiss my ring. I know I left power 10 years ago, but it's now time to make me king. He didn't. He didn't. He wasn't even the most vocal. He said very little. He was just that calming presence, that leadership, that resoluteness. Mm -hmm. But then also the famous quote, and it's a great story. And this, you know, this is what we need to start sharing with people. What's the, do you know what he said, what the first thing he said in Philadelphia was? Because he only, he didn't say a lot in Philadelphia. He said one famous quote. So he's on the, he's sitting down one day, there's a debate and it's not going well. And he stands up and it looks like he's about to speak and the whole room goes silent. (gasps) What's he going to say? Is he actually going to say something? And this is what he said. This is what we need to tell Americans today. Let us raise to a standard to which the wise and honest can repair. The rest is in the hands of God. What does that mean in 2021? We got to start working like it depends on us. And let's pray like it depends on him. Because America is a divine providence nation. And if we do all of these things right and we get that divine providence, we make America the best comeback story since Jesus Christ. That is why he's my favorite. And it isn't even close. And I love Thomas Jefferson's pen. I, I will openly admit, if you said, oh, whose writings, if I could only bring one set of writings with me, who would I bring? Mm. It's not George Washington, it's Thomas Jefferson, because his pen was so amazing. But you, you can't have America without Washington. Yeah, I agree completely. You'd keep your iPad, what, presumably just so you could have YouTube. Yeah, YouTube, but also emails and to communicate yeah. with people. And okay. I'm, um, I'm not going to lie, Tanya played her own unless she's got an iPhone, so we could I message each other and keep in contact. So. Uh-huh. Obviously, uh, I'd love her to be with me, but I'm guessing that was, she's not a possession, you know, but, you know, she's not, <laughs> a, she's not mine. I got you know, it, so. I got it. Uh, barbells and weights. I mean, yeah. what, you, you say you power lift. What's the most weight you've ever lifted in your life? You got to have a personal best. I have, but I can't remember. Mm. Um, 600 and something pounds or something. Oof. Yeah. That's what I used to do. <laughs> Is it, you were in a movie once? Yes. How'd that happen? The famous movie, Michael Collins with Liam Neeson. Okay. And Julia Roberts was in it as well. So there's a company over there called Equity. And my father, when he retired, because he was older, um, went and became, had many jobs. One of them, he was an extra in like the local sitcoms and stuff. Oh, it, nice. And he got me involved in it. Um, it was a great way of earning money because he, he got in and then he started just being in the pub and in restaurants, you know, just the casual people. Then he brought the car and he got extra money. Then he brought our dog and got extra money. But then movies started coming to Ireland um, and he had contacts. So Michael Collins was in it. Uh, my, if you actually look at the scene at the start, to Michael Collins you'll see my father it's where Michael Collins has given the passionate speech 
and uh, he's you know talking about you know freedom and our, our Irish future Irish Republic and then the British come in and storm well there's an old man hanging for dear life onto the signpost because what, literally what we were told is he'll give the speech then the English will come in and then we kind of like fake fight with each other my father's like holding onto the signpost for dear life his son is in the middle of it nowhere to be seen is literally in the middle fighting the British come here you British person <laughs> I know you're only an actor but I want to fight you That's so um, I, I'm not I, I can't be seen in it but it was a lot of fun I earned 20 pounds back then for that day's work it was fun and um, cool. I got to meet I think we got to meet I know we met Julia Roberts um, she was amazing because mm-hmm. you know back then I, I don't know whether she was in Pretty Woman yet or had been in Pretty Woman but like she was a big name and like it was really cool so, and yeah. she was as beautiful as you might think so you're right so Liam Neeson Julia Roberts obviously but you've also met Kevin Spacey and you list that as meeting him that's your most embarrassing moment yeah what that's happened? a funny story so <laughs> So my dad had many hats. He had lots of jobs. So okay. my my dad had like his own company, and he was also the founding house manager of like the the big concert hall in Ireland. Mm-hmm. And then he retired, and then he actually retired for six months. And then basically, you know what? I don't like retirement. I don't like doing doing nothing during the day. And he went and got more jobs than when he was you know a, a young man working and doing his own business. So one of the jobs he had was he was a projectionist. I told you earlier on about making up all the things. So he had this pri- he was working for this private cinema where like movie critics would come in and watch it or people's movie stars would come in if they were passing through town and they wanted a private screen. You know, like kind of Glenn going to right. private screenings. Yep. He would do this. And I would go to him and I'd help him out. But I was playing football that day and I was absolutely messy. Back then I actually had hair and I used to sneak it back and I used to care about my appearance. I don't really anymore. But I was playing football one day and he came. when I came home, I was messy, I was sweaty, the hair was all over the place, I had muck on my cheek and everything. <laughs> and uh, he goes, hey, there's a movie on tonight in the thing, do you want to come help me? And it's A Bug's Life. And it hadn't Bugs even been out released in the, in the theater yet. Okay. And I was like, sure. He says, you'll probably like it, it's good. And I'm like, who's it for? He's like, I don't know, it's no one in particular. So I get and he would go to the thing and we had a routine where I, because I wouldn't be seen around people and different things are, you know, so the people, that's critic could come in because you don't want to be seeing a kid when you're, you know, you're, you're getting a private screen and you don't gotcha. want to see a kid that you kind of want to think you're the only one there. So we had a routine, I'd go help him and then I'd sneak in and watch the movie. So he, while he watched the movie, the person watched the movie, there was a man and a woman, that's all I could see, a man and a woman with blonde hair. And uh, I leave, and then my father go back up to my father at the end of the movie, and we come back down, and who's in the hall? It's Kevin Spacey. Now the reason it's an embarrassing moment is because Kevin Spacey was one of my idols growing up. I loved him in The Usual Suspects, all the different <laughs> things, LA Confidential. Yeah. I thought he was a really good actor, and I I really was a massive fan of him back then. And even to this day, like even when, not to this day, but you know, and even in recent time, like House of Cards is the acting in that, like it is so real, like you can't fake that. Obviously, he's a complete dirtbag. You know, we we all know this again. Like I like to complete dirtbags. Kevin Pacey, uh, Bill Cosby. You know, there's a, there's a team here for the Christian guy who talks about principles to like. But anyway, I get out and I see him, and I'm like, oh my god. And he's like, oh, yeah, by the way, I forgot to tell you, it's Kevin Spacey coming tonight. I was like, gee, you couldn't have told me that before. I would have gotten to the share. I wouldn't have my hair all over the place. Uh-huh. And then my father goes, oh, you know, Kevin, this is my son, Jonathan. He's like, oh, that's nice to meet you. And he's like, hey, uh, would you like to, would you get in a picture of my son? I'm like, you, are you freaking kidding me right now? Like, you couldn't have told me that I was going to meet Kevin Spacey, oh, one of the people I no. like. And it was embarrassing. I felt sorry for him. He was really nice about it, you know, but this this kid with hair all over the place, muck on his cheek. And, you know, clearly, like, I looked <laughs> like, you know, oh, I was just, I looked horrible. Um, I got to start and, mixing in the word muck muck uh let's see here there was a dark time in your life where you were planning on committing suicide that's a nice segue yeah (laughs) tell us about that man suicide it's a very passionate issue for me and i um mental health is a big issue and it's a big issue in our society and it's an issue that is not correctly diagnosed by many people and it's only got worse because of COVID. 
um, where we're telling people. Um, and life will beat you down. And life will make you feel sad and bad. And it will, you know, we all face it. You know, whether we lose someone, whether we lose a job, whether things are not going well in our life. Um, ultimately, what happened for me was I was just in a very bad place because I've been trying to get here for so long. Mm. And I've always kind of suffered with depression in the sense of what's amazing about my brain is I am so positive about America. But if you start asking me about myself, I'm very negative. And that's the amazing thing about Tanya as well, how I know, because she'll she's changing my brain and trying changing the way I think about it. But she, you know, when someone says that about yourself, like, you know, like, you know, you know, I'm not good looking or I'm not good at what I do. People go, ah, yeah, you're just looking for a compliment. You're just shift, you know, you're just, you know, shifting for a compliment or you're just saying that. But it, that's how we generally feel. And it's words don't solve that. Like, mm-hmm. you know, if I tell you I'm feeling really bad about myself, what do you say? What can you do? There's very little that you can do. Um, so what happened with me was I was looking kind of going, look, I'm doing all this work. I'm doing the show for the blaze. I'm doing all this writing. I've done all these speaking tours. I've never had a break. I'm struggling financially. And then I, I, the question, and you, you get, you go down this tunnel. It's, I'm condensing the story, story a lot, but you go down this tunnel and you kind of go, well, you know, the whole, um, a wonderful life story. If I died tomorrow, who'd miss me? Mm-hmm. Have I made any difference? And I went to the point where, you know what, actually no one would miss me. You know, my mom might miss me, but she's my mom. She's, you kind of expect that from your mom. And that's the other thing. Sometimes the close people closest to you are not the ones to help you because, you know, you, you know like my mom, you, it's kind of expected. You're my mother. You know, it's not like, yeah, well, yeah, you, you killed yourself, but I'm not going to miss you. You're my mom. That's not a humanly, you know, that's not a consistent reaction. And you kind of go, well, have I me- done anything? Have I got anywhere? And I was just like, I asked myself a question at the time. I was like, you know, if I kept doing what I'm doing, because I was so far down the journey of, I know I can't, if I stop doing what I did, and even if I came out and said, you know what, America is the most racist nation, I was wrong about everything, I'm not going to have a career in Ireland. I'm not going to have a life here, I'm not going to be able to build it. And even if I could, it wouldn't be a good life, I wouldn't be happy, I'd always want to be over here. And I kind of went, if I do this for another 10 years, will anything change? Hmm. And I was just like, no. And I was just in such a dark place. And then I was like, well, then if nothing's going to change and you have no hope for yourself, you've hope for other people, but your own self you need to be happy with, why bother continuing? And then it, that leads to a lot of other thoughts. And like, yeah. And like, because we are a society as well, not passing the book on other people, but we're a very disposable society right. where we just throw things away. You know, and like, I remember, um, you know, the great, and he's not great, he's one of the most despicable people, but the Irish people would say, the great playwright, George Bernard Shaw, mm. where he said, sir or madam, would you care to justify your existence? Yeah. And I'm like, no, I can't justify my existence. I'm a burden to society. I don't earn money. I don't do anything. I don't really create anything. And it just went down a rabbit hole. And I came close. Like, I can tell you exactly how I was going to do it. Um, I had a stash of pills. And I had a large bottle of whiskey, and I was going to mix the two. And if I had mixed the two, I would have went into a massive coma and then eventually died. And I had a—I even had it down to a point where I knew my mother wouldn't be around and I wouldn't be found for a long time. What stopped you? Fear, which is not the right answer, but it is the answer for me. I got to a point where, honestly, as a Christian, I wasn't ready to meet God. Mm-hmm. I wasn't ready for that conversation because in my eyes— while I hadn't achieved anything, quote unquote, I wasn't ready to have the conversation of, hey, so you got these gifts. There's no reason why 
and I'm not saying because I'm very careful of what Christian. You know, Christians say, "Well, God sp- speaks to me," and you know, I know and stuff. I'm not that type of person because I feel very uncomfortable. I've never actually had a conversation with God. I, I, other people probably have, and maybe that's just not. Maybe he has conversations with other people, but for me, there is no other way you can say what I am without him because there's no way you could take an Irish person who doesn't have a college degree who wasn't a great student in school because I hated school I hated with a passion I nearly dropped out and that then all of a sudden becomes somewhat smart on the American founding principles and the American constitution and the idea of God's law and the idea of freedom there's no other earthly way to explain that it doesn't make sense in earthly terms the only way you can say that is it's a blessing or a gift from Mm -hmm. him and then I used to talk about the scriptures of, you know, the guy who got 10 talents, the guy who got five talents, the guy who got one talent. I always make very clear I'm the person in that story with one talent. Yeah, and I too. wasn't ready to meet God and then say, <laughs> well, what did you do with the talent? Well, I didn't think I did anything with it. I couldn't do anything with it. So I killed myself and here I am. Mm. The story in the Bible doesn't end well for the guy with one talent who buried it. Yeah. So I was like, I'm not ready to have this conversation. So I was just looking for it. So I was like, I can't do this. And then I was like, what am I going to do? And I still, I still have demons. You know, I'm, yeah. I'm going through a little bit of drama in my life right now for the last four days, and a lot of demons are starting to come back. But I'm, I've got Tanya, and we're talking about them. We're going through them. Um, but you know, there's a lot of anxiety in my life the last four days. I'm not going to lie, um, and very unsure. But I'm dealing with the demons better. Um, but literally, you have to get to a point. What saved me was I started to look for joy and stuff. So that's why comedy is a big part of me. Um, like, you know, literally I was watching a load of Abbott and Costello at the time, you know, watching a bit of Dave Chappelle, like Ricky Gervais. I was just wanting to laugh to get because it's also a chemical reaction. Hey, we're not just fluke beings. We're here because, you know, there's endorphins in our brain. And if you laugh, you smile. And if you smile, you feel better about yourself. No matter how bad you are, like even imagine if you're at a funeral and someone says to you, you know, you tell your story about, you know, one time you had a conversation with your mother and then you laugh and you smile. You automatically feel better. It might only happen for a second, but it is that chemical or a lush that makes you just get over that little bit of doubt. And it was just a lot, watching a bit of comedy, trying to get better. And then I just went, right, you know, we've been down this rabbit hole. We're clearly, clearly in our eyes, killing ourselves is not an option. What is the alternative? Going all in. And that's where this tour started to happen. Then I had to cancel it four or five times with different people. Why? Because I couldn't get here with coronavirus restrictions. I just kept saving the money, building it up, getting here. But my life now is I'm going all in. I don't know how long I'll live, but you need to be reminded of why you're the best story. Because your story is a biblical story and it needs to be remembered. And for those who are feeling hopeless right now, and if you are listening and you have depression issues, reach out to someone. Reach out to me. But reach out to someone who's been through this experience because one thing I've learned because I'm actually helping a few people or I'm friends with a few people are going through dark times as well is suicidal people will only talk to suicidal people. Why? Because with the best intents in the world, people who've never been through it don't get it. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, it, it does take a bit of a, and I'm not saying you're crazy, but it is a crazy thought to have where you're like, I'm just going to end my life. That there is no hope. There is no better tomorrow or better next week. No matter what magic wand you have, nothing will ever get better. Let's end it. That is a crazy thought. You're not a crazy person. It's a crazy thought. And we need to reach out to these people. And why I'm so passionate about this issue, especially now, is what are we doing in coronavirus world? We're telling people to isolate. Right. We're telling people that, oh, hey, you know what? You maddening. need to be in a room 24 hours a day by yourself and have all these thoughts. And then the thoughts get bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. And when the numbers start coming out, you're going to see a lot of people killing themselves. Oh, I know. It, we're already starting to see some of that. But if people do want to reach out to you, if they do... Um, 
need hope, yeah. right? Or, or they need somebody who understands who's been there. Yeah. Um, they can find you on social media. Yeah. Your Twitter, at, Twitter yeah. or Facebook, Freedom's Disciple. Uh, Freedom Disciple. Yeah. Freedom Disciple, Facebook or Twitter. Yeah. Uh, if they want to help out with, with, with getting your message out and help with the tour uh, where you go and express to America... You should still have hope. Here's why. Donorbox.org slash Freedoms Disciple. Donorbox.org slash Freedoms Disciple. So being that you're about to officially become an American and you want to accomplish, I love that you want to get to all 50 states. It's also a goal of mine. Considering you have lived overseas your entire life, Where's your count right now? How many states you been to? Oh, I'd say I'm in the twenties. All right, look yeah. at that. That's awesome, man. Well, I did fifteen states this tour alone. That's what so, I wondered. Yeah. How many you knocked out on this yeah, tour? Yeah, yeah. Fifteen on this <laughs> that's tour. That's cool. That's so. cool. But I want to speak in. Obviously, some states will be hard. My, my one of my goals is to speak in every state. Obviously, it's yeah. going to be hard. Like, who's going to have me in Massachusetts? Who's going to have me in New hey, York? Hey, you never know. Oh, absolutely. Right. But you know, even if I can get like two people on a lawn, that counts, right? <laughs> that's, that does. Yes. So, so if you want Jonathan to speak, reach yeah. out uh, at Freedom Disciple. Send him a message and say, hey, I got a lawn and I live in Massachusetts. Yeah. Come and I don't have me. a shotgun and I'm not an old guy saying, get off my lawn. That's right. That's <laughs> yeah. right. So but, that that's great, man. And I and I wish you so much success um, with, with your message. I mean, you are literally a disciple for freedom. And in that, I hope that you will be a disciple for your own mental health. And I hope that you don't end up in those dark places again because... You, you do matter, okay? Let's make that very clear. You are doing, quite frankly, the Lord's work in, in spreading this message, and I hope that you will continue to not only do that, but to see the worth and the value in that, because everybody needs to hear that message, man. Amen. And, and I don't know how many people are communicating it as passionately and as clearly as you are. So... Stick around, would you? Yeah, no, I will. But that's the one thing Americans need to start doing better because I've been blessed with the, you know this tour and all the events. But you know the the comment I get most frequently, and this this is a sad state of America. And it needs to be addressed because it's you can solve these problems if you just start acting the right way. Mm-hmm. I've had people come up to me. You know, some people have cried. Some people have been really emotional. Some people have been really you know positive about the message. Like I really like what you said. It's been a long time since I've heard it. I'm like, why is that? Why does it take an Irish guy to come over and tell you how great you are? You need to start telling it, but also telling it in the sense of not that, because I see some people starting to say like, yeah, we're America, we're great, we're all powerful, we're just awesome. No, it's not telling the world you're exceptional or great, it's telling the story why. Mm -hmm. It's not bragging when you say, here's why we're different. And if you start sharing the stories, but also understanding that we need to encourage people to change the world. Can I share one other last story with you? So I'm always asked, John, I'm only one person, what can I do? And this is one of my favorite stories from the Revolutionary War. Do you know how women doing laundry helped win the Revolutionary War? And it's not because of what you think. They, you know, well, they had to get fresh uniforms. It has nothing to do with uniforms. It has something to do with a cannon. Nope. Dang it. <laughs> so <laughs> if you read anything, there's, there's many books about this. You know, George Washington inspiring and different things. Yeah. But it's in Massachusetts. And if you know the geography of Massachusetts, it's very, there's loads of different alcoves and caves. Uh-huh. And they would have secret meetings down there in the Revolutionary War. But no one knew all the details. 
all they would knew was part of the story and then they'd pass it on I'd meet you and I'd say this is the message and then you take the message and then go tell other people and we'd go but how did they decide where to meet safely because these are the found you know they're the founders and the generals and stuff and all these people who are you know trying to get all this spying if they're caught you literally have a, a whole spy infrastructure gone mm. how did they tell the message by laundry what would happen? One of the people, one of the ladies who would live near the bays in Massachusetts would be told a number. One, two, three, four, or five. And that's all she was told. And that would represent the number of bed sheets, white bed sheets she would wash and hang out on the line the next no day. Huh. And what, you know, what British general is looking going, oh, Mrs. Maguire over there, you know, she had three bed sheets yesterday and she's got five today. I think there's something suspicious going right. on there. No. There's nothing. It's just white bed sheets. What did they represent? What? If there was three bed sheets or five bed sheets or one bed sheet, that is where the meeting in the Bay 1 or Bay 3 or Bay 5 or Bay 2 was happening that night. Amazing. If that women, woman or those women were not doing laundry, you might get caught and then all of a sudden your revolution might not happen. You might have the same information and then it. it happens. That's how you... I'm not saying go do laundry, yeah. but it's just simple things like this. I love those stories simple. too. There's so many stories like that throughout history, which I just, they're, they're fascinating. And, and and that one, I had not heard at all. My yeah. gosh, I love it. Yeah, but just something simple. Like you don't... We, we You tend to, especially right now when you look at all the problems and I hear, hear all these discussions and some people ask me, you always look for these big grandiose plans. Mm -hmm. Look for laundry. Or if I may give you a quote, Martin Luther King... Anyone can be great because anyone can serve. It's simple. Help your neighbor. Mm -hmm. You know, be financially independent. Go volunteer at a political meeting. Go volunteer for charity. You can do anything. You can change the world. It's so simple to change the world. I used to do, uh, I used to be part of a big charity and I used to go recruit for them. And I used to say, you might think you need a lot of skills for what you're about to do. You don't. You need to know the following. You need to be able to smile and mean it. But then fundamentally, you need to ask one question and listen for the answer. Hi, how are you? you that changes the world how many times do we have a conversation hey buddy good to see you how you doing good and you I'm, are you doing good yeah i'm good and then we just walk off many times you actually say hey how you doing mm. what's going on and actually wait not you're not ready to say i'm great too and keep walking you have that conversation because that's what we need and that's what covid has proved to you if you take nothing out there's many lessons from covid we are creatures of habit but also creatures where we need human interaction proved that. In 2021, we have more material stuff than ever before. If material stuff was enough to get by, you would not have a suicide problem there. Why? Because people would be in their home homes, they'd be safe, they have watched Netflix all day, they can play all their Xboxes, they can order everything they want off Amazon, they can have all the stuff they want. Every material object you want, you get. And by the way, some people were earning more money in the pandemic than they ever were in their lifetime before. So they could buy more stuff and they didn't have the same bills. What happens? You would expect suicides to go down. They didn't. They went up. Why? Because we lost that human interaction, that one-to-one. -one. And we need to start getting back to that and making that political. We need to stop thinking of people as, hey, I'm Republican, I'm Democrat, you're Trump, I'm anti-Trump. No, you're Keith, I'm Jonathan. You're not white and I'm not black. You're not gay, I'm not straight. None of those. It's you're Keith, I'm Jonathan. How you doing, buddy? You okay? And start having those conversations. Because as amazing as you might think I am, if you think I'm amazing doing 65 events in 85 days, I can only talk to people who will turn up and listen to me. You can talk to people in your neighborhood who may never go to any Democratic meeting, no church or no Republican meeting or no Tea Party meeting or no 912 meeting. They may never leave their house bar to do their job. I can't reach them. No matter how much advertising we do, I'll never reach them. You can. Why? Because you're a neighbor. 
Mm-hmm. So to understand your power and your role and never, ever, ever think you're worthless. That is the big message. You have the power. You just need to start being encouraged to use it. I love it. I love it. Jonathan Dunn, uh, it is a pleasure to know you and call you friend, Freedom Disciple, uh, Facebook and Twitter. Man, it's so great having you here. I can't wait till you're here permanently. And you are an American because you, sir, are, I hate to use the word, but boy, it's the truth. You are very deserving of the title. God bless you, man. Thank you, brother, for having me. Keep up, you keep up your great work. Thanks. It is so easy to root for Jonathan Dunn, and it's my hope that his future in his new country is everything he's hoped for. I am so thrilled to call him friend and so happy that I can call him an American very soon. Hey, would you mind doing this podcast a huge favor? Could you take a moment over the next week to tell a friend about At The Mic? Maybe text them the link to atthemicshow.com and tell them, that, hey, look, if you want some easy-to-listen-to conversations, they're all right there waiting for you. 80 episodes to listen to now at themikeshow.com. As always, I'm so grateful that you listen to this podcast. And if you're interested, there's show merchandise available when you head to atthemikeshop.com. Maybe check that out as well. I appreciate you stopping by over there whenever you can. I hope you'll join us here next week when my friend Ellen Wheeler stops by. She has a story to tell us. She took a life-changing journey from Utah to Hollywood, ended up in the world of politics. Oh, yeah, and she also had to deal with a volcano in between. That's next week on At The Mic. Until then, please go be free, and thank you for listening. This has been At The Mic with Keith, an independent podcast production. Head to atthemikeshow.com for archived episodes, sponsor information, and ways to connect. Hey, I have a great update about Jonathan and his new bride, Tanya. Yep, it's official, and I wanted to tack this on to the end of this episode to make sure you knew about the great news. The two are already married, and he should officially be an American and living in Oklahoma within the next couple of months. I am so happy for both of them. They're great people. So glad that he can call himself an American at last. How awesome is that? Well, wanted to make sure you knew, and we'll see you uh, next week right here for another episode of At The Mic.